For those of you that have been to uh, New York, uh, you may have uh, encountered the Hudson River. Uh, I had the opportunity of uh, touring West Point, uh, which sits next to the uh, Hudson River. Uh, George Washington called this ground where West Point is the most valuable ground, uh, strategic ground, uh, on a battlefield when they were fighting the British. And so... um, the Hudson River, uh, it's beautiful. And there's two occurrences that have happened on the Hudson that will grab your attention. Each one is a picture of what happens when we rule uh, our realm that God has given to us, either well or not well. Once again, we have a, a decision for that. And the first, the first one incident I would like to uh, present is, happened on January 15, 2009. Uh, very cold, and uh, birds flew straight into the engines of the U.S. Airways Flight 1549 immediately after they took off, and simultaneously shutting down both of the engines. And so with only minutes uh, that seemed like an inevitable disaster, the pilot contacted the air control tower to seek clearance for rerouting and make an emergency landing, and he was told to return to LaGuardia Airport. And at that point, Captain uh, Chesley Sullenberger had made a decision. The airport was not close enough to make an emergency landing. And Known as Sully, he, he had to make a, a, a quick decision, and that was to ditch the plane into the Hudson River. When you look at this wide-bodied airplane and uh, you know, landing in water, uh, you, you just see fatalities happening. And um, Sully was a veteran pilot for four decades. He fought in the uh, Air Force, um, military-wise, had a lot of experience, and he was aware of the odds that were not in his favor for surviving. And so with those two engines out, he had nowhere else to go. Sullenberger took charge that he was responsible for, and that was to bring this plane down and its passengers uh, safely. And so making some quick adjustments keeping the plane high enough to clear the George Washington Bridge uh, and doing what very few pilots have ever done before. He ditched the plane in the river. And 90 seconds before landing, he addressed the frantic passengers on the plane. You can only imagine what was going through their minds, huh? He stated calmly, brace for impact. And in order to bring the plane down... He had to have the correct speed, the the right lift um, to prevent that plane from breaking into thousands of pieces. And so he did that very thing. As he brought that plane down, uh, icy water began filling the the plane inside. Passengers and the crew uh, rushed to the emergency exits and the captain directed the evacuation. Once the last person was off the plane, Sully was the final person to exit flight 1549. And all 155 passengers were rescued. No fatalities. And some called it a miracle on the Hudson. 
Many of those passengers that were on that plane um, hadn't believed in God before, but uh, for some reason they called on his name, um, prayed to him on the plane, and publicly thanked him for sparing their lives. Two years later, on that same Hudson, a tragic story occurred. It was about a woman with four children. Uh, Her husband abandoned her years earlier. Neighbors and family said that uh, she was a great mom. She loved her kids. They always looked well cared for. They groomed and well-behaved. But on a cold April 2011... She posted an apology on Facebook. She called her mom. She called her grandmother. She called her dad and said goodbye. And she loaded four kids into her van and drove straight into the freezing waters of the Hudson River. And as her van was beginning to sink, her oldest 10-year-old son attempted to roll down the window while the younger children cried out in fear. The 10-year-old was able to squeeze through that open window before the van went underwater. He later told police that his mom had gathered all the kids around her, held them, and said, if I'm going to die, you're going to die with me. Neighbors say that the father had shown up at her house an hour before she drove her children to their deaths. He pounded on the dorm, screaming threats for over 30 minutes. And this wasn't the first time that it happened. Less than an hour after the father had left, the mother and three of her four children were dead in the Hudson River. Something interesting about the Hudson River, it's that it's one of the few rivers that flows in two directions. The tides from the Atlantic move the river northward and The origin of the river at Lake Tier of the Clouds also move the currents southward. It's a river that flows two ways. I don't know if you've realized this, but life has a way of flowing two ways, doesn't it? It does. You look at uh, Sully, who brought a plane down safely on that water, and you look at a mom who drove her van into that same river. Good and bad. Life has a way of flowing two ways. And a lot depends on how you, you personally and me, live with consistency and with wisdom according to the guidelines that God has set out in his word. We have choices to make. The Apostle Paul recognized that the church in Ephesus was going through some challenging times. There was good, there was bad. Paul himself could look back on his life and realize there was a time when he was running down the river in the wrong direction. But God's grace hit him straight on and he was able to go in the right direction on that river of life. And so, as birds hit our engines of life, we can, we can crash, we can... We can feel like it's a hopeless situation, but you need to know that God Almighty is always with you. And he'll never bail out. And he'll see you safely. Safely to the ground. 
And so as we look at Ephesians 4, on the back of your program, there's, uh, there's an outline that we encourage you to follow. We're, uh, we're walking through the book of Ephesians, and uh, we're in chapter 4. So on the back, you, you've got uh, the, the verses, and also we have Bibles available at the back table. Bob Kesnick sits there just, just to hand those out. That's his, that's his mission today. And so if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. We encourage you. They're free. You can keep it. Um, New Living Translation, I'm an advocate of that. And, um, and so here we go. Um, Ephesians 4, we're going to pick it up in verse 7. All right? However, uh, Paul started the first six verses talking about unity, about God calling us. And so verse 7, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. You need to know, if you get to know God and you get a way to do that is to read his word, you will find that God is a generous God. He is not a selfish God. He's not a stingy God. He's not a a hoarding God. He wants to give you gifts. He wants to bless your life. That's the heart of God. And we see this in verse 7, the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so cleverly they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Isn't that great? Isn't that good? Aren't you glad that Paul wrote that when he was a prisoner? Chained to a Roman guard. Man, the dude could have had a pity party and, you know, hey, instead, man, he's, he's writing this letter of hope and encouragement to the church in Ephesus. So... He's writing it to you and I at Live Church, March 31st, 2019. I think that's pretty cool. So Paul is, is addressing the church, and, and uh, he's encouraging them, because when you read this, you, you realize there's stuff going on inside the church at Ephesus. There's, there's some cool things going on, but there also, also uh, there's some challenge in the teaching. It's not accurate. It's not biblical. And so people were stumbling and, and people were kind of stuck in a rut spiritually. And, uh, and so Paul is kind of encouraging him to, come on, let's, let's get moving. 
Let's get moving. So number one, gifted by Christ, verse 7. He has given each one of us a special gift. A footnote of that special gift is a grace. It's a grace given by God through the generosity of Christ. And um, God believes that every follower of Jesus Christ should be a participant in building his body, the church. Uh, God isn't into uh, spectators, you know, he's not into those who just kind of hang out on a tree, you know, uh, and call at the end of the day. God is encouraging you and I, the church, to participate. And he does that by giving you and I gifts. We don't have to earn them. We don't have to work for them. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he gave you a gift, at least one gift. And he gave it to you to use it. So I want to encourage you to do that. Everybody, everybody, every single follower of Christ has worth and value in the eyes of God. And he's given you gifts to connect with the body to grow in your faith. Eric Little said, In the dust of defeat as well as the laurels of victory, there is a glory to be found if one has done his best. God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Now, I would say for Eric Little, God gave him the gift of running. That's not in the Bible, by the way. Running is not a gift (laughs) mentioned by Paul. But any talent... Any strength that you have, it has been deposited in you by God. We need to recognize that. And Eric Little used that talent, that gift that God gave him, to preach before and even during races and after races about God's greatness. And he always pointed, you know, look at me. What I do, I'm doing it because God blessed me. God gave me this gift and talent. And he won the gold medal in the 1924 games in Paris. And he said, not only this, he said, God made me for China. What's God made you for? Have you, have you nailed that down in your life? He said, God made me for China. Eric was born in China. His parents were missionaries. He was living in Scotland, running for Scotland, but there was something on the inside. There was a call to go back to China to tell the Chinese about the great love of Jesus Christ, and he trained for it. In fact, he was in China when World War II started, and he was finally arrested by the Japanese who occupied China and put into a concentration camp where he died shortly before the end of the war. And the men that were in that concentration camp, they would say, Eric Little, this man loved Jesus Christ. Because let me tell you something, all, all living in a concentration camp, what, what you think is right and wrong, it breaks down in people's lives. There's no order. And even, even men that, that almost became like animals, they, they would say to, about Eric, this man lived it. When he was beaten and when he was tortured, the man lived it in front of us. 
and he encouraged us to do the very same thing under horrific circumstances. So Eric Little, man, I I would hold him up as recognizing that God has gifted him. And um, here's the deal. Again, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God gave you a gift. Now, now, you can't, you can't push that gift away, you know? You think, well, God, I'm gonna keep, I want you to take this gift back and put it back on your shelf in heaven and give it to somebody else. It doesn't operate that way. God changes you. If you give, an op, give him an opportunity, God will change you. Just like the caterpillar doesn't get to vote whether he wants to become a butterfly. Have you noticed that? When was the last time you talked to a butterfly and say, hey, hey, did you take a vote on that? Uh, caterpillars don't get to vote. It's automatic, isn't it? Caterpillars automatically become butterflies. It doesn't try on a cocoon to say, hey, does this thing fit me? Am I comfortable with it or not? No, that's not. God loves to transform his people. And he does that by having that relationship. And he does that by giving you a gift. And he wants you to use it. Number two, Jesus is on the move. And I, man, I love this. Verse 8, this is, that's why scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same, who want, the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Paul takes a verse from the book of Psalm chapter 68 and he, he brings it back into Ephesians 4 here. And what he's doing is, Let's read it, Psalm 68, 18. When you ascended to the heights, you led a crowd of captives. You received gifts from the people, even from those who rebelled against you. Now the Lord God will live among us there. So David's writing this in Psalm 68. And David is giving a picture of of what it looks like when a nation defeats another nation on the battlefield. And what that looks like and the Romans were very good at this, they would, they would come back to Rome and the king would be out in front of that procession. And then they would have the, the victorious army marching behind him. And then they would have the POWs, those Roman soldiers that had been held captive prior to this great victory on the battlefield. So they, they had been released from those chains of slavery. And so they followed behind the soldiers that fought in combat. They were rescued. Then they had the defeated king and they had his defeated army behind them. And following behind that was they, there, there were wagons and wagons of plunder, gold, cattle, silver, uh, anything they could, they could find, they brought it back to their own country. Now here's the deal. When the king got back to his palace after this great procession, the people would gather around. And the king would take the plunder and start handing it out to the people from that country. That's the imagery that 
Paul is giving about Jesus Christ. That he's won a great victory. When he went to the cross, when he was between heaven and the earth, hanging on that cross, he defeated the enemy. And when he did that, there was a great procession. And we follow behind him. And when he gets to the palace, he hands out gifts. That's that's what Paul is saying. That when Jesus ascended back to the Father. So he started in heaven. He came to earth as a baby. He goes back to the Father. But that wasn't the end of the story. He says, I'm going back. And it's a good thing for you because I'm leaving you the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And he's going to be with you all the time. That's a great promise. So Jesus is on the move. You can see that. And um, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So that's, that's going on on the cross. 1 Peter 2.24, He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. And then Paul, also writing to the church in Colossae, verse 2.15, he says, In this way, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So Jesus is moving. There's great victory on that battlefield of life. And he's giving, it says he gives gifts to his people. Verse 9, notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. That's when he came as a baby. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe uh, with himself. I'm so glad. (laughs) Think about this. You know how large Wisconsin is. You know how large the United States is. You know how large our planet is. You know how large our universe is. And it keeps going. Jesus fills it all with himself. That's how powerful he is. He fills it all. There's no vacuum where he's not. All the planets, all the stars sing praises to this great God who is everywhere. And he fills everything with himself. Paul talks about this Jesus ascending higher than all the heavens. It's, it, it's a picture that um, he talks about in 2 Corinthians 12 too. It says, Paul is saying, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Only God knows. And so theologians say there's three heavens. The first is our atmosphere right here. The second is the realm of the stars and the planets. The third is the spiritual realm where God dwells. And God fills it all. I've experienced being in places like I'm not in church. I could be outside. I could be in a store. I can be driving. And the presence of God is so strong. He's everywhere. And you can't get away from him. 
because he loves you so much. And so, this Jesus who's on the move, he's everywhere. I'm so glad that as a teenager, he was on the move in my life. Because I've been running and I've been pushing against him. And he didn't give up. And I'd like to say to you this morning that Jesus is worth following. Helen Burhane lived in Eritrea, which is a northeast African country. She was kept in a shipping container for almost three years. The reason was because she wouldn't deny her faith in Jesus. She had put her faith in Christ and she realized that Jesus was worth following, even if it cost her her own life. And so Helen, she would be thrown into this steel container. There were times they would chain her outside the container in the extreme heat, and then at night when it cooled off, she had no blanket, nothing to keep her warm, shivering. They would beat her. They would torture her to try and break her so that she would renounce her faith in Christ. And one night when she felt so alone and so broken, she composed a song, and she sang it over and over and over again. Look at the words. I love you, singing it to the Lord. That's why I draw myself closer to you. I know that it's worth following you. I'm not only ready for prison, but I trust you until death. Even in a closed space or in a pit, I will not surrender to evil spirits. Not even if I am bound or I am chained or I am suffering from cold. I will sing and I am not going to tire of singing nor give up. My heart is burning with your love. And my heart declares I will never stop respecting you or lifting you up. I will sing again and again. I will sing a melody for you. My soul is pleased to sing for you. Isn't that cool? Helen Berhane, thank you for modeling what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ because you've experienced his great love. And even in a steel container in Northeast Africa, she felt the presence of God. Because God is everywhere. And he's on the move. And I can tell you this morning, he's on the move in your life as well. Number three, Jesus builds his church. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad he's building it. Verse 11, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, in the New Testament, there's five different texts that list 20 gifts that God gives. In Romans 12, 6 through 8, in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 30, Ephesians 4.11, where we're camping out this morning. 
and also in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. This is what a spiritual gift is. Okay. It is a God-given ability or skill that enables a believer to perform a specific function in the body of Christ with effectiveness and ease. Notice it says, now these are the gifts Christ gave. Jesus is the giver. He gave. Indicating that God gave these people to the church as gifts. And so, there's four types of gifted people that Paul addresses. In other words, for a church, for a body of Christ, God does not leave a vacuum there, but he brings people in that can serve in a very practical way. First, apostles. The disciples were apostles. Uh, Paul was an apostle. There's apostles today that travel throughout the world pointing people to Jesus. Two, prophets. Prophets ministered God's message to uh, his people. At times they would foretell the future and other times they would exhort and encourage the body of Christ. Three, evangelists. There were traveling ministers. They would be similar to what missionaries are today. And they would go to non-believers and proclaim the gospel to them. And those, uh, you would say, would have the gift of evangelism. And here's, here's the thing. This is where, as a follower of Christ, this does not give you a license to sign off and telling other people about him. You think, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Yes, you do. It, it, not, it may not be that primary gift that God gave you, but if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are automatically told that you're a, an ambassador of Christ. Uh, we're told in 2 Corinthians five nineteen and 20, um, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us, who's us? We're the body of Christ. We're followers of Christ. He gave us, not some, us, plural, this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. You see, there's no PS there that says you have to have the gift of evangelism to get involved here. No. God is making his appeal through us, through you, through me. So we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That's great news. So there's... There's the evangelist. Eric Little modeled that. Helen Burhane modeled that. And Jesus is encouraging you and I to do the same. Fourth, there's pastors and teachers. Now, in your Bibles it says... You know, pastors uh, and teachers. But in the Greek, there's a link tying pastors and teachers together as one. Literally, it means shepherds. And because it means shepherds, that means God is, God is looking at the body, his body, as sheep. And for all of you sheep out there, Uh, if you've ever seen sheep, um, they're a challenge, aren't they? I, I like lamb, by the way. 
And so, and so we as sheep, we're all part of the sheepies out there. And that's why we need a shepherd. And the cool thing is Jesus is the great shepherd. And we rely on him. And Paul says that there's that word equip. God gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. You see, you're ministers. You're representing his kingdom. It's not somebody else's job to do. It's your responsibility. That's what Paul's talking about. That word equip means to make right. It's like setting a broken bone. It's um, to bring to completion by training or restoring. And so the idea here that Paul is saying is we're all part of his body, the body of Christ. Sometimes we get dislocated, you know. Sometimes we get broken. But God gives people to us to pop us back into place again. That's pretty cool. Why? Because God wants to use you. Number four, growing to mature. That's what it's all about. That's why God gave these four gifts to the church. Growing to mature, verse 13, this will continue until we, who's we? It's we. It's we, all we here, all we. All come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. We. Um, last Sunday, for those of you that were here, of course, we had um, the, the Chosen People Ministries, and, and Jeff Sewald was here, and, and uh, we spent some time with him Sunday afternoon, and uh, he, we did some FaceTime with a, with a dude that he had talked about, um, Brian Doyle, who f- played for the New York Yankees years ago. And Brian's living in, in, uh, in Georgia. And uh, so uh, Jeff's having a conversation with him, talking about what's going on in Cuba today, what God's doing around the world. And uh, in, in the in dialogue, Brian says this, and I, and I wrote it down because it caught my attention. The closest thing to perfection is consistency. You see, when Paul's talking about growing to mature, he's not talking about perfection because we will not be perfect as long as we're breathing air on this planet. But I like what Brian said, the closest thing to perfection is consistency. In other words, you get into that, you get into a rhythm of life that no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter where you go, you're representing the kingdom of God. You're consistent with that. And so we mature. That's good to know. Number five, stuck no more. Stuck no more. Verse 14, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. What's Paul addressing? He's saying uh, to the church in Ephesus, some of you are stuck spiritually. You're, you're listening to wrong teaching. You've been deceived. You've, uh, you've listened to deception. You've listened to lies. So Paul's talking about that to the church. 
He's saying we will no longer be immature like children. All you have to do is go to Walmart, friends, and you see immaturity uh, right before your very eyes. You know, when kids don't get what they want, what happens? There's a meltdown, isn't there? There's a meltdown. They're immature. They don't get what they want. Paul's saying, hey, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not always going to get what you want. You need to mature. You need to, you need to grow up. And um, it's kind of like this woman in New York City. She was uh, driving in the carpool lane, which means you have to have more than one person in your car to, to the carpool deal. A police officer noticed that this woman had a mannequin sitting in the passenger seat. And the mannequin was dressed with a brunette wig, with makeup, styling, clothes, and sunglasses. So the police, recognizing what's going on, pulled this lady over, requested to see her ID and the mannequin's ID. And this lady was not amused. She didn't think it was very funny. And she told the officer she saw no problem driving around with her dummy because everybody else was doing it. Can, can I tell you this morning that as followers of Christ, there's too many of us that are living our lives looking at what everybody else is doing and thinking it's okay. We need to stay in God's word and let that be our guide and live for him to honor his great name. And so we see that we won't be tossed and we won't be blown about by every wind of new teaching. And so uh, that leads us to number six. The goal through all of this is to become more like Christ. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's that we would become more like Christ. Instead, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. What's God's goal for your life and for my life? That we would be like Christ. We would model his character so when the, when the birds hit the engines of our life, we don't go into panic mode. We simply realize that Jesus is with me. And the good, the bad, and the ugly times of life. And as we model that, we'll point other people to his great name as well. Jenny Smith attends a church in Louisville, Kentucky. She has a smile on her face. She's 45 years old. When she was 16, Jenny really never had a vision for the future of her life. She, she loved gymnastics. She loved playing the piano. But on July 11, 1989, she sustained a C6-7 spinal cord injury, that be, and she became a quadriplegic. That was the morning that she slipped on dew-covered grass when she was tumbling out in front of her house. She was an accomplished uh, gymnast, but this time the wet grass caused an injury and changed her life. She lost use of her hands and her legs in a split second. 
Her life was changed. Boom. No longer able to do gymnastics, play the keyboard at church, play varsity volleyball. That all went away. And so she refocused on what she could do from her wheelchair. She graduated from high school early, went on to get her master's degree in counseling. Did she lose hope? She said, I think because hope was all I had left, not entirely. I clung to the belief that God could continue to use me. Hebrews 6.19 says, This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Hope is what kept me living, not just living, but living abundantly, like Jesus said in John 10.10. So not giving up required me to find courage to say yes to things that were outside my comfort zone. She's traveled to Mexico to distribute wheelchairs. She became vice president of an organization, taking wheelchairs all around the world to handicapped people. Jenny said, in the last nine years, I've been working with a mission organization supporting cross-cultural workers as they live overseas. Through playing with uh, wheelchairs, uh, tennis, wheelchair rugby, rowing in the Ohio River, I've learned to become more independent. This is what she says. While I am thankful for all that God has done, I would be lying if I told you that I haven't felt discouraged, frustrated, and even humiliated at the dependency created by my spinal cord injury. But it has required me to lean on God in a way that I might not have done otherwise. It has challenged me to reach out to others and ask for prayers for renewed hope. And God has always been faithful. He wants the same for you. Just say yes to what he has for you. Jenny Smith said yes. Will you say yes to Jesus Christ? Father, we thank you today for your great name. We thank you, Lord, that You fill everything, every space, every corner with your great presence. And Lord, we want to thank you this morning that you have gifted each one of us as followers of Jesus Christ to be part of the great body of Christ, building each other up in that great faith. Not for our glory, not for our fame, but Lord, to point people to you. Jesus Christ, the great God, the lover of our souls. And so, Lord, help us to be reminded of the simple fact that you created each one of us for a purpose that's bigger than ourselves. It's to represent you, to point people to you, to model your character, to live a life of maturity. And so we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your work this morning. I thank you for each person in this room, for your purpose for their lives. In Jesus' name.